0: goes up must come down. Welcome to the Brand Breakdown. I'm Michelle and I'm Courtney and this is where we're going to track the rise and fall of big brands from companies to celebs to pop culture phenoms and everything in between. Let's get started. So the last time that we were here we were talking a little bit about the beginnings of Megxit, the beginnings of COVID, And that Megan and Harry were going to Canada to spend the holidays, which we totally get it. They need a break. Maybe Megan's having some postpartum stuff. Maybe they just need to like breathe a little bit. Totally get it. Um, But that
1: really wasn't what was going on, was it? Um, No, it wasn't. So we, you know, after the South Africa tour, which was in October 2019, you know, we had Megan doing that interview where she said, nobody asks if I'm okay. And everybody, like you said, everybody was kind of like, okay, what's going on? Is there a postpartum issue here? Some people had started to become very convinced that, you know, this was a big indicator of the trouble behind the scenes. We had already seen the split with the Kensington Palace offices. And a lot of people said, no, no, this is, this is a bigger problem. This interview that she's doing is Not postpartum issues. This is not somebody who's come back too soon after having a baby. This is, like, an issue. I, for my part, was still sitting there being like, okay, like, they need a break. This is going to be good for them. They're going to come back refreshed. They're going to spend some time in the U.S. with her mom, maybe hang out with some of her friends from Suits. Like, this will be good. That's not what happened.
0: And at that point, point, I think you were really still very much Team Harry, Team Megan. you know, felt like that they – you know, you love them and etc. Yeah.
1: You know, Harry had said in that same documentary, you know, he's, he loves his brother, but they're on very different paths. And I was like, see, that's proof. They're on different paths. William is about to become the Prince of Wales. Harry is, you know, the Duke of Sussex and just got married, just starting his life um, with his wife and his first child. So of course they're on different paths. That doesn't mean anything. Um and I was wrong, and I was very much, you know, in the little, like, royal watcher circle that I'm in, I was very much a defender of Meghan and Harry at this point, you know, through the South Africa tour, through the Christmas holiday even, when they weren't at Sandringham and people were saying, oh, you know, it's it's so unfortunate that they're not going to be at Christmas with the Queen, how sad she's getting up in years, and how sad that Archie's not going to be with his cousins for Christmas, and in my opinion, I was like, well, you know, there's a precedence for this. William and Catherine have skipped Christmas a number of times to be with her family. Why should Megan not be allowed to be with her family for Christmas? And why should Harry not experience Christmas and, you know, Megan's family's traditions? So through this whole period, I was still very much like, this is okay. They're just, it's an adjustment. We're still adjusting because at this point we are about a year and a half out from the wedding and... I think that everybody who marries into the royal family, there's an adjustment period, even if they are from, you know, Princess Diana was from an aristocratic background. There was still an adjustment period there because being an aristocrat or, you know, a peer is very different than being a royal. And certainly from Meghan's perspective, sure, she was a minor celebrity in the United States, but that's worlds away from being a royal. And so to me, it was like, okay, they're still in this adjustment period, which is to be expected. And Meghan... Said in the engagement interview she wanted to hit the ground running, and that was very noble of her, but maybe she bit off a little bit more than she could chew. Let's let them take this time over the holidays to kind of regroup. What I personally never expected, although which had kind of been rumbling around in the background a little bit, is that this period of time to regroup was a business trip, essentially.
0: So – business trip in the sense of they got their team together stateside and said okay what are we going to do to be able to withdraw from royal life
1: exactly at this point in time megan and harry you know they went to they went to canada they met with their pr folks megan has had through this whole thing megan's had her um her manager and her business lawyer on retainer this entire time and so Holiday season 2019, Megan and Harry went to Canada and they started planning. And it wasn't that they were planning what they were going to do. It's that they were planning how they were going to announce it and what the stage of actually initiating it was. Because while we all found out about MegZit as it came to be known in early January 2020, I believe the announcement was specifically made on the 8th of January. The sussexroyal.com website, the very first snapshot of it appears on the the Wayback Machine archive on April 7th, 2019. So months and months before this, almost a full year, they had already started working on their website and there was already content there that was in the works, ready to be released into the wild.
0: So... Uh, That's incredible, A, that they didn't have a web team that was savvy enough not to allow the Wayback Machine to access that, just saying, Um, and B, that they hadn't dropped any hints up up until that point that this was going to happen. Do you think that Charles, William, Queen Elizabeth knew that this was coming?
1: Yes, so I think that... With everything we know now, we know that there had been discussions. The the royals were not necessarily as blindsided by the information as the public was. They were the royals were blindsided by the way it was released, but I think they knew that it was coming. We've we've since learned that they had been in talks about potentially, you know, getting this half in half out status that they wanted and going and living somewhere else in the commonwealth, whether that was somewhere in Canada, because that's a that's part of the Commonwealth realms, or whether that was somewhere in Africa, maybe Australia. Um, I think Africa was kind of a front runner there. And the conversation was whether or not this was possible. William and Charles were said to have actually been on the side of like, okay, let's see if we can make this work. Let's see if we can come to an agreement where – You guys are living in the Commonwealth, you're undertaking some royal duties still, but you're still able to explore other interests. And, you know, maybe that's Meghan going back to work. Maybe that is at the time Meghan and Harry were the vice presidents of the Queen's Commonwealth Trust, I believe it was called. So maybe it was undertaking more Commonwealth related engagements as opposed to like royal engagements. And it is reportedly the Queen who said absolutely not. You are either a full-time working royal or you are just a member of the family that happens to be royal. But you cannot be half in and half out. And there – she has a very good reason for this.
0: So tell me about the reasons for that because I – because it feels very um, uncompromising to me. Not that Mm -hmm. I wanted them to be half in or half out. I didn't really have an opinion at the time. But if I were – prince harry who'd been a working royal for a long time at that point but also wanted to safeguard my family and my relationship that would feel right to me so what was the queen's reasoning and did harry and the queen ever have a conversation to say like why it wasn't a good idea
1: right so obviously i don't know about any private conversations that they had Unfortunately. What do you, mean you don't know? You're not privy to all that? <laughs> Unfortunately, have, I'm not that. <laughs> you don't have your
0: inside man, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not that cool, not that cool. Um, but so I don't know specifically like what was said. However, we do know that there have been cases in the past of royals who are half in, half out. There've been quite a few of them. It has never worked out well, ever. So we can start with the queen's son prince edward who is now the duke of edinburgh he was formerly the earl of wessex and when his father died he became the duke of edinburgh he was you know he was born he was fourth in line to the throne after his older brothers and his older sister and so it was kind of always known he probably wasn't going to play that big of a role within the working royal family and the older he got and the older charles's children got and they had kids blah blah blah. he just gets keeps getting pushed down and pushed down so he kind of struggled to find his way a little bit. And it, he was very interested in the film worlds, interestingly enough. And so he opened a production company and he started, he did a few really great documentaries or I I thought there were some good documentaries. There was one about Windsor Castle that was really interesting. I think I shared the link with you a few weeks ago. Yeah. And there was, he, he was also part of this, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like a reality competition show before reality competition shows were a thing, it was in the – I think it was like in the late 80s, maybe the early 90s, where it saw the members of the royal family competing on teams against each other in athletic events. It was universally Uh, panned and mocked. (laughs) It was just ridiculous. I'm mocking in my head
0: right now. I don't even remember it.
1: Yeah, it was ridiculous. And um, he also – Encouraged the Duke of Edinburgh at the time, his father Prince Philip, and the Queen to make a documentary of kind of a behind the scenes of royal life, and so each like one the
0: of crown these before the crown,
1: exactly. And this was you know a documentary, not a it wasn't fictionalized at all. And you see Prince Philip like barbecuing and stuff like that, and it it was interesting because at the time people loved it, the royal family hated it because they felt. <laughs> It, it was a little bit too, like, it takes away the magic, right? If you when you see how the hot dog is made, you don't want to eat <laughs> it anymore. The man behind
0: the curtain. You don't yeah. even see the wizard. The wizard doesn't mean anything if he's just a um, portly old man.
1: Exactly. And so it was... I'm not fat was...
0: shaming, P.S. Not fat shaming.
1: <laughs> um, but it was said that, you know, the documentary aired once and it was never to be aired again. Um, And so besides a brief... It was like for a few days, a couple years ago, it actually made its way on YouTube somehow. It was taken down after a little while. Um, Occasionally, we see the same clip of it over and over again where Prince Philip is literally like in a kilt barbecuing at Balmoral there in Scotland. Um, But we've never seen it again. And so eventually, the Queen said, Listen, Edward, this isn't working. You can't be, you know, producing content about our family, you know, before producing content was the way that would have been phrased, but you can't be producing content about our family and also working for our family. There's too much of a conflict of interest there. It's starting to look like you're selling access. And that is what happened when Prince William was at school. He got caught working, like bringing a camera crew onto the campus and he was going to make this documentary. And he figured, you're like, oh, because my nephew goes here and my nephew is the future king, I can just like show up with my camera crew. And that was a really bad look for the royal family because it was like, wait a second, your private endeavors don't get to supersede everything else. You know, film crews are not allowed on the campus unless you're the son of the queen. Like, no, that's not how it works. So that was a bad look. And the queen basically said, okay, Edward, enough is enough. You've had your fun. Come back into the folds. You're going to be a working royal. His wife, a few years later, the Duchess of Edinburgh, who is now one of like the stars of the royal family. She was very, very close with the queen during her lifetime. She joined the family. She had owned a PR company at the time. So she was an established career woman. She grew up, you know, wealthy. She wasn't she wasn't your average girl necessarily she was rolling in royal crowds as it is that's how she met her husband and she owned a PR company and she was caught after she had married into the family and been married into the family for a couple of years she was found to be talking to somebody who was posing as a reporter I believe basically just like bad-mouthing the family and you know she wasn't being terrible but she was talking about the family very casually. And in a way, like, you know, she called the queen, I think she called her like, oh, you know, the old woman or whatever. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so that was the next instance of, okay, like either you're a member of the family and you're a working member of the family, or you have a private life that's completely separate from this because She was, you know, giving access to a reporter, essentially, and giving information to someone she thought was a reporter to try to benefit her public relations firm. I might have the details slightly fuzzy on that, but that's like the gist of what happened. And so she was the next person to be like, either you're in or you're out. Then we've got Prince Andrew, who we won't even get into all the controversy surrounding Prince Andrew.
0: That's a podcast for another time.
1: (laughs) That's like a whole separate
0: Gosh series. Boy, We could we could unpack that for like <laughs> wow. decades. I'm, I'm de- um, I mean, I don't even I can't even with that that whole yeah mm.
1: yeah he it's it's a lot. But in terms of strictly his working royal life, you know, he was the Duke of York, he had a military career that lasted a few decades. He was kind of revered as a military hero. He, he fought during the Falkland Wars. Um and he kind of had like the but Andrew kind of had, as Harry, had his hero Harry persona. Andrew had his dashing young prince who's a military hero persona as well. Then when he, be, he retired from the military, he became a full-time working royal. He undertook the usual royal duties, but he also became a trade ambassador for the UK. And so this was more in a private capacity, not really private, but not part of it wasn't royal family duties. It was like on behalf of the government, so more in line with like an ambassador type of thing. Is and that he was
0: Jeffrey Epstein.
1: Yeah, <laughs> actually, I believe so. Um, oh, he was he was caught he was caught you know with, with his pants down, not necessarily, not literally, um, but you know he was caught making business deals that were beneficial to himself not just to the country and cultivating business relationships with people who were very powerful and who had a lot of money and then maybe getting a little cut for himself too hey you know I'm the Duke of York I can get you in touch with my brother the Prince of Wales if you sweeten the pot a little bit so there was too much mixing of private life with government business with royal business and he had to step aside as the trade envoy and so there have just been too many instances where members of the royal family have mixed work life and royal life and their personal lives a little bit too closely and so the queen having been through this with two of her children and her daughter-in-law not to mention anything Fergie ever did um (laughs) said you know what yes (laughs) um said, you know what, either you're in or you're out. You can be a working member of the royal family or you can have a completely separate job. You can't do both because you cannot be seen to be monetizing your relationship with your family and with the institution of the monarchy. And so at the time, a lot of the deals that Meghan and Harry were getting offered were things like the photo call when Archie was born. You know, like, oh, we're gonna... We're going to be the only news network. We're going to do an exclusive on a prince being born. No, you're not. That's not how it works. You're not getting paid for having a royal kid as a working royal. There have been other royals who have done it. There, you know, when Zara Phillips got married, she did an exclusive in Hello Magazine. She got paid for that. But she's not a working royal. So there's there's that line in the sand where things are different. So
0: I feel like Meghan was constantly trying to monetize the monarchy from the very beginning.
1: Yeah, for sure. And there have been a lot of rumors that I don't know that we've ever seen any definitive proof, but I've read a lot of things from a lot of anonymous sources saying on the Australia tour, Meghan was paid XYZ amount to wear this specific dress or these specific jeans or carry this specific bag, which the Royals don't do. The Royals do not get freebies. They do not get paid for wearing something if they are sent clothes from a designer, because designers will still send them clothes, whatever they keep, they keep and pay for. And whatever they don't want, they send back. They don't get to gift it to a friend or, you know, keep it for free. And so there have been rumors that Megan was, they call it, merching and that she was getting a cut of all of these different things. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. I tend to believe it might be given what we know about the Royal finances and the wardrobes and how it works. I think she may have certainly tried that approach, Um, but there's no proof of it. No designer has ever come out and been like, Oh yeah, we were paying Megan to wear this. Um, But you know, Megan was also, I think we said in an earlier episode Her relationship with Oprah started because prior to her engagement to Harry, Oprah was trying to get an interview with the girlfriend of Prince Harry. And Meghan really wanted to do that interview. And the palace was like, no, you can't do that. Of course you can't do that. And she was really upset by that. So all along, Meghan has been trying to get what she could. Yeah. Get what she could out of the relationship, which, you know... Normally, from. that's fine. The thing is, is it, like, for a nor- for it? a normal person, like, for a normal person having a job and being like, hey, if you come do business with my company, my company will make more money. I might get a referral fee. I might get a bonus at the end of the year. Like, that's great. But the Royals don't do business like that, you know? Like, it. that's not the same type of business model. And I think that Megan for whatever reason, just couldn't accept that. Like, and I guess maybe it's because it's kind of weird. Like if someone came up to me and they were like, hey, we'll give you a million dollars if you do this thing. And I have to turn down a million dollars, especially being in a position where as royals, like, yeah, she's rich. She's married to the son of the future king. She lives in a mansion on the royal estate that she doesn't have to pay for. But their money isn't, like, she doesn't necessarily just have, like, access to whatever she wants. You know, she doesn't have a debit card that has her money from her checking account in it. She's got to, you know, her lifestyle is funded by a line item and the Duchy of Cornwall. And every year her husband gets X amount of dollars to pay their staff. And there's a wardrobe line item. And, like, this is what's allocated to clothes. And this is what's allocated to staff. And groceries work by, like... You figure out what you like and you place your order through the royal palace kitchens or whatever. So it's a really different life. And if someone said to you, hey, do you want a million dollars that's just yours, just your million dollars to do whatever you want and nobody's going to check up on it and it doesn't have to be reported back to anybody as like, oh, I need this much money out of the account to do X, Y, Z thing. I'd probably have a really hard time turning that down. All right. But
0: But here's the thing she knew she either knew what she was getting into and thought she could skate the system
1: Mm -hmm.
0: or it wasn't adequately explained to her what she was getting into and then she tried to skate the system Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: she had at least probably 15 to 20 million dollars already from her micro celebrity status on suits not that much Five million, ten million. Yeah.
1: Closer to like four, I think is the estimate based on like what, but still, you know, a not unsubstantial an amount adequate, of money. And yeah. adequate amount.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels like to me that if you signed up for this life, you signed up for this life. Like mm-hmm. that's what you signed up for. And, yeah, you know, when you take a job, so, you know, I offer you a job and I say, Hey, come, come work for me. You're going to work 45 hours a week. I'm going to pay you, you know, $12 an hour, which don't ever work for that, you know, for me, I'm offering you that. Don't do that. Um, and, and you're going to be, uh, doing everything I say before you take the job, you better consider, do I want to work for $12 an hour? Do I want to do everything? Michelle says, do I right. want to, you know, and there's no health insurance. Do I want to get sick and not be able to pay for it? Mm-hmm. You know, there, you. it's, it's like any other job. It's a job. It was a job. Like, I'm sorry that you didn't read the fine print.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the biggest things with this whole situation with Meghan and Harry. And when people get very upset about things we'll talk about later, like their security being taken away and this and that. And it's like, yeah, those were perks of a job. And when they left that job, they quit their job. They did not get kicked out of their job. They were not unceremoniously fired for no reason. They quit. And that's what happens. When you quit your job, you don't get to keep the company car. You don't get to keep the company credit card. Like, you lose the perks that go with it. And they seem to, like – I think this goes back to Harry not being able to separate his family from his job. The royal family and, like, the job of being a working royal. He can't separate those two things. And so it leads to all of this stress and turmoil because he says, well – I am Prince Harry and my father is the king, so I still deserve taxpayer-funded security. And everyone's like, for what? You're not doing anything. You don't even live in this country anymore. Why would we pay for your security? That's millions of dollars a year. And he says, well, because my father is the king. And it's like, yeah, but you're not a working royal. There are only a few, there's only a handful of people in the royal family who have 24-7 taxpayer-funded security. Meghan and Harry were two of those people. They no longer are the other people are the king and queen and William and his family. That's it. That's it. The queen's other children didn't, did not have 24 seven security anymore. They all lost it. I want to say probably like 10 years ago, they all lost it, including princess Anne who one time had been held at gunpoint and like was nearly kidnapped. She, while, and she that happened while she was actually on an engagement, they all lost their 24 seven security And Harry and Meghan said, well, we still deserve it. And it's like, why? You're not even working. These people are working, so they get security sometimes. They get security when they're working. But nobody has it all the time, except for the king and the two future kings. So who are you? And Harry just can't. The two of them, I think, just, they thought they were going to change the world. And they also thought they were going to change the monarchy. And they walked around saying, it'll be different for us. We'll just do it our way. And when they couldn't just do it their way, they said, fine, we're going to leave. And the royal family was like, okay, (laughs) like, go ahead, leave. Like, if that's what you want to do. So to go back to where we were,
0: Sorry. Yeah, I I, I Reeled
1: that ship. (laughs) No, it's fine. But so to go back to where we were, it was said that the queen is the one who drew the line in the sand. William and Charles were willing to try to make it work. The queen, with the hindsight of having dealt with this with her own two sons and her daughter-in-law, said no. We're not. You can't do it like that. Either you're in or you're out. There is no halfway. And I think she did that because she didn't want to put William and Charles in a position where later – they were having to go through what she went through with her kids. Like, you know what I mean? Like she was saving them a step. She was saving them a little bit of heartbreak being like, nope, we're not doing it that way. And it was said that the only thing that the Queen had asked is that Meghan and Harry not make the announcement. That they wait until everyone had sorted out all of the details and everything was set in stone before anybody said anything. And so they,
0: didn't.
1: they did not. So on January 8th, 2020, they released a statement on the Sussex Royal website and it says, after many months of reflection and internal discussions, we have chosen to make a transition this year in starting to carve out a progressive new role within this institution. We intend to step back as senior members of the Royal family and work to become financially independent while continuing to fully support her majesty, the queen. It is with your encouragement, particularly over the last few years That we feel prepared to make this adjustment. We now plan to balance our time between the United Kingdom and North America, continuing to honor our duty to the Queen, the Commonwealth, and our patronages. This geographic balance will enable us to raise our son with an appreciation for the royal tradition into which he was born, while also providing our family with the space to focus on the next chapter, including the launch of our new charitable entity. We look forward to sharing the full details of this exciting next step in due course as we continue to collaborate with Her Majesty the Queen, the Prince of Wales, the Duke of Cambridge, and all relevant parties. Until then, please accept our deepest thanks for your continued support. Their Royal Highnesses, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. That was their statement. And the Royal family was like, what are you doing? Where did this come from? You weren't supposed to say anything yet.
0: Do you feel like they were trying to force them into a position? It feels like that they were like,
1: yes, yeah, we don't. I 100% do. I wouldn't mess with Queen Elizabeth, though. I
0: don't know what they were thinking.
1: So the royals didn't make a statement for a bit after that announcement was made. And yes, I agree. I think that that they were definitely trying to force the Queen's hand because during this time, they were having these behind-the-scenes back-and-forth discussions. Can we be working royals? Can we not be working royals? Can we be half in, half out? And Meghan and Harry said, we're just going to say we are. We're just going to say that we're going to be supporting the queen and all of this stuff. And then what are they mm-hmm. going to do? They're going to go the against hubris. it publicly? Yeah. <laughs> the hubris so of it all. They I think were for sure trying to force the queen's hand and I don't think they ever expected her to stand her ground and say no, absolutely not. Um I think Meghan and Harry were really really shocked by it. I think Harry felt like he was the favorite grandchild. I think he was, you know, I honestly, so, <laughs> um, so the Sussexes released their statement on their website, and then a very, very short statement about an hour or two later followed from the royals. And it said, um, this came out of Royal Communications from Buckingham Palace, statement on discussions with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex discussions with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are at an early stage. We understand their desire to take a different approach, but these are complicated issues that will take time to work through. So the Royals came back immediately and were like, we are not done talking about this. This is not set in stone. Um, And that was their way of kind of being like, yeah, this is, you did not actually just back us into the corner that you think you did. From there, one of the things, you know, from a branding perspective that I think is really interesting is that, Meghan and Harry had obviously had this in the works for a while. Like I said, the Sussex Royal website, the first snapshot of it on the Wayback Machine is April 7th, 2019. So we are now in January 2020. This is 9 months in the making. And they're the first royals and I think this is really um I think this is really attributed to Meghan. We saw this on their social media accounts as well when they split from Kensington Palace. They were the first royals to have like branding every other royal social media account just posts the pictures they post you know a short little caption and that's pretty much it megan leading the charge of sussex royal starts a branding initiative they are always using the same navy blue color and this like off-white cream color they're using the same font all the time they are using they have this like yeah they've got their logo well they're, they're using Harry and Meghan's ciphers, which every royal has their cipher, but they're using theirs on everything. They're branding their stuff with their ciphers. And you can tell they've got a style guide in play because there are words where they italicize in lowercase some of the words, but then everything else is capitalized. And so you can tell there's actually a branding guide behind what they're doing. And they actually, I'll give them this one bit of credit in this entire situation. It forced the royal family to up their social media game and up their branding game because before that, they had just been posting, like, here's a crappy photo of so-and-so on tour with barely any information (laughs) in the caption. And Meghan and Harry were posting these really beautiful, curated, stylized photos, and they were posting quotes that are, like, all in this branded font, and they were providing more detail to their content. And so this started with the KP office split when Meghan and Harry started managing their own social media. Um, but it continued through their independent life when they were still allowed to use the word royal, which they later were no longer able to use it.
0: Right. Um, had to, When did that happen?
1: So a little bit later after the... Um, After their initial announcement that they were stepping back at the beginning of January, in mid-January they had the Sandringham Summit, which was a meeting between Harry, William, Charles, the Queen, and I believe each one of them had their own like represent, like their press secretaries were there as well. Meghan was not invited, interestingly. Um, I don't know if that's because her opinion. Yeah, I don't know if they were like, it doesn't matter. Like, you're not the royal in question here, so your opinion is not needed. Or if it was because I kind of think that maybe William and Charles thought they'd be able to speak with Harry and maybe get through to him without her there. You know what I mean? Like, if they took away that support, they might get him to cave a little bit, which... Makes sense. I would have tried that tactic too. But, but it didn't but matter. But cave in
0: what way? As in not leaving the royal family?
1: Yeah. As in getting him to come yeah. back outside and being able to say to him, like, listen, you know this isn't how we do things. Like, what are you doing here? Um yeah. But I think from Harry's perspective, not allowing Meghan to attend put him in a very combative and defensive position because he has just this chip on his shoulder. You know, if you go way back to before he was even engaged to Meghan – William apparently said, like, be careful with this girl or take it slow with this girl or something. He called her this girl. And that infuriated Harry. And so I think her not being included put Harry right back in that spot of, oh, this girl. You know, like, oh, they don't – they're looking down on her by not including her. And it's like, no, that's because this is a family matter. And at the moment, they're not considering her to be, (laughs) like, that level of member of the family. During the Sandringham Summit, they – They basically outlined what was going to happen. And they told Harry that him and Meghan would be given a year to basically be on a trial basis. They would still have their patronages. They would still have their titles. Harry would still have his military appointments, his honorary military appointments. And essentially, they would would be given the opportunity to try it. Go out on your own for a year. See how it fits. See if you're enjoying, you know, the process and if everything you think is going to come to fruition works out and you are able to become financially independent, we will take it from there. During this time, Harry was still receiving funding from his father. He was still receiving taxpayer-funded security for a bit, both from the UK and from the Canadian government while they were in Canada. And... This was a trial period. This was very much like a let's see what happens. When were the dates of this? So funny, you should ask. So (laughs) January 18th is when we get a statement from the Queen saying, following many months of conversation and more recent discussions, I am pleased that together we have found a constructive and supportive way forward for my grandson and his family. Harry, Meghan, and Archie will always be much-loved members of my family. I recognize the challenges they have experienced as a result of intense scrutiny over the last two years and support their wish for a more independent life. There's more to that statement. But that is January 18, 2020. We all know what happens next, right? The beginning of 2020 is the beginning of COVID. So Harry mm-hmm. and Meghan have left the United Kingdom in search of a more financially independent life where they can avoid some press scrutiny, but they also want to build this empire where they are saying all these deals we had to turn down over the last however many years, let's pick them back up. It's been reported that they were in conversations with Netflix and a streaming app that lived for about 15 minutes called Quibi Um, as early. Yeah, it, Unfortunately, COVID also met the demise of Quibi as well because it was specifically created for people who were commuting. So, like short fifteen-minute episodes <sighs> of things never got off the ground because of COVID. Wow. Um,
0: but they have—they podcast really suffered during COVID too. I bet, yeah,
1: because nobody had their commute to just yeah listen to stuff. Listen to- yeah. Um, but yeah, so they started this arrangement mid-January. Lockdowns went into effect very soon thereafter lockdowns happened first in Europe so they they were already in contact with Netflix they were I believe Netflix I don't want to say that for sure but it was reported that they were already talking to Netflix they were already talking to Quibi as early as November 2019 and then lockdown happened and everything they thought they were going to be able to do in building this brand and creating projects paused just like it did for everybody else in the world like all of a sudden they couldn't be seen out and about and um Their their way of doing things, as we've seen as time has gone on, has been they're kind of keeping this royal model of doing charity engagements, going on visits, doing things that require a high level of in-person publicity that just wasn't possible during COVID. And so who knows what Megxit would have looked like had COVID not happened, but the first year of them being split from the royal family went literally nowhere. They, we didn't see them at all. We couldn't see them. And everything that happened started being through somebody else's lens. So one of the next biggest things after they launched Sussex Royal, they moved to the UK, or I'm sorry, they moved to Canada from the UK. um, And then they moved to LA very quickly, they, like, escaped lockdown in Canada. When they realized everything was locking down, they quickly, like, borrowed a private jet, as you do, when you've got to make a quick travel arrangement. You just, like, hop on someone else's <laughs> private jet. That's so what I do. And they, Shop. yeah. And they went to L.A. They borrowed someone's house, as you do. They borrowed Tyler Perry's mansion for a little while while they found their own home.
0: Oh, I um, remember that, yeah.
1: Yeah. Nice to have friends in high places.
0: I like friends in low places. <laughs> <laughs> and um Garth Brooks.
1: You and Garth. After all of that happens and all of their plans get quashed, we start hearing things from other people's lens. We get Finding Freedom in August of 2020. We get the Valentine Lowe bullying article in March 2021. And during this time, everything that's happening in the press with Meghan and Harry is just rehashing, right? Nothing new is happening. We aren't even seeing them. We're just, the press is kind of just, you know, feeding off of Megxit and rehashing everything and going back and looking at all the clues that were there, all the signs that were there, all the drama. On our next episode, we are going to take a look at what that frenzy created and how the Sussexes tried to take back the narrative through things like Finding Freedom, the Oprah interview, and their various content deals. So be sure to tune in.